0: Let me just, uh, a word of reminder, today, and only today, unless we decide to do this going forward, but when I'm done, and I'll try to stop on time, we're going to take five minutes or maybe six or seven if you really have some good questions. If you have any questions rolling around in your head about the book of Jonah, we're going to do a little question and answer Q&A immediately after the uh, sermon. And feel free to ask anything and everything, and if I can't answer it, which I probably can't, I'll pass it on to somebody else, okay? And you'll get an answer. But uh, So this morning, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I'd appreciate it if you'd turn to the last chapter in the book of Jonah. And uh, let's just remind ourselves, there's this one thing that we know about the book of Jonah. I think we talked in Sunday school this morning that it's somewhere around 98% of the people who live in America have heard the story that Jesus died on the cross. Now, that doesn't mean 98% of this country is Christian. In fact, I'm convinced it's not 98% Christian. If 98% of the people in America were Christians, this country would be a different place. But I would guess, for anybody that's even... a um, Remotely associated with the church or with Bible understanding, most people have heard the story about Jonah being swallowed by a whale. And then a few days later, it's miraculous. This giant fish where Jonah has lived inside the belly of this giant fish for three days, this giant fish spits him out of its mouth and Jonah is still miraculously alive. I would guess most people that are remotely connected with any church anywhere have heard that story. It says in Jonah one seventeen, that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. However, as I mentioned last Sunday, if, and this is just if, if when we get to the end of our four-week study here, if we somehow still believe that the main point of the book of Jonah is to remind us that there was this guy named Jonah who got swallowed by a fish, if we think that that's somehow the main point of this book, we've missed the primary teaching of the book of Jonah. Yes, it's true, this book is about a guy who was swallowed by a fish. The book of Jonah is also about each one of us. Now, just think about that. I think there are things that are taught in Scripture. There, there, there may be things that God will use a passage in Scripture to teach me one lesson, and he'll teach Dominic a different lesson from that same passage of Scripture or Scott, or whoever it is, Jackie. But I think the message in Jonah is very clear. I think we need to understand that this book is not just about a guy named Jonah. This book is about each one of us. And what happens to us when we decide to be disobedient in doing what God is asking us to do? Because then, just as Jonah suffered consequences of his sin of disobedience, you and I face the same potential of suffering consequences of sin in our life by our disobedience in doing what God is asking us to do. It's about what God can do. This book is about what God can do in our lives if we choose to repent and ask to be forgiven. It's about what God wants to do in and through our lives as you and i seek to be obedient in doing what god is asking us to do our responsibility therefore as brothers and sisters in christ is to try and discover what is it what is it that god is asking us to do that we may not already be doing what is he asking us to do so as we work our way through we name, we took we've named each chapter chapter 1 we named disobedience. It's about Jonah's complete and in-your-face disobedience by not doing what God was asking him to do. Chapter 2, we named this, and you know, I'm a, I like to write in my Bible. If you haven't figured that out in the months I've been here, I tell you, I've got notes all over. I like to underline. I like to circle. I like to write in the margins. The other day, Sharon and I were over at Wendy's, and we grabbed the hamburger, and this guy walked by Here's something else if you haven't figured out about me. I'm not real quiet and bashful when I'm out in public. So I like to talk to everybody that walks by me. And this guy walked by and he had this shirt on that caught my attention. And I, I'm the kind of guy I can't help but ask him about that shirt. So he walked by and, and then he came up with this. And if Sharon and I had not been so busy that day, I think I could have asked this guy to sit and have lunch with us and we'd probably, we would have been there for hours. But I said, hey, that's quite a shirt you got on there. And so he went on to tell me about this little message on his shirt. He said, you know, I'm a Bible guy. I don't know where that came from out of the conversation. He said, Well, I'm a Bible guy too. I, I I'm a Bible marking guy. I like to mark all over my Bible. So in Jonah chapter one, I would encourage you to write right next to chapter one, verse one, this word disobedience. And next to Jonah chapter two, I think the word you want to write is consequences. Chapter two is about What happens when we sin? There's consequences for the things we do, and there's also the possibility of consequences for the things we don't do. We need to remind ourselves that sin can be doing something that we're not supposed to be doing, but it's also a sin not to do what we're supposed to be doing. It says in James 4.17, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for that person it's sin. And then we name Jonah chapter 3, repentance brings forgiveness. From inside the belly of this giant fish. You know, I have to tell you, that is is mind-blowing to me. From inside the belly of this giant fish... It's a God thing. Steve can't understand it. Steve believes it because it's in the Bible, but I can't understand it. How can you be swallowed whole and still survive inside the belly? But from inside the belly of that fish, Jonah repented of his sin and God forgave him. And when Jonah arrives in Nineveh, begins to preach, the people of Nineveh remember, it's only in Hebrew, it's only a five word sermon at the end of chapter three. It's only five, the whole sermon is only five words. It's eight or nine or ten words, depending on which English translation you have. That's the whole sermon. And the whole town repents of their sin, and God relents from doing them harm. It says in Jonah 3, verses 8 through 10, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? It says, God may turn and relent And turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Turn the page. Now we're in Jonah chapter 4. It's only 11 verses, so let me read all 11. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said? Is this... Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? which came into being in a night and perished in a night, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Wow. Jonah chapter 1, 2, 3, 4 is like this. This could be an 800 page novel that God somehow, the Holy Spirit, condenses down to four little chapters. But I want you to understand this, and I hope we all understand this. When God created us, when he created people, he created us to love him and to love each other. Jesus himself said, quoting from Deuteronomy 6, Jesus said this in Luke ten twenty seven. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. But here's what happens. Sin enters our life. And as this sin enters our life, we become less focused on loving God and more focused on what we think God is doing wrong. Or maybe we could say we become less focused on loving God and more focused on what we think God should be doing or not doing. And as sin enters our lives, we become, we become less focused on loving others and we become more focused on what we think other people are doing wrong. As sin enters our life, we become less focused on loving and more focused on hating. And if we do not repent of that sin, but instead, if we allow this sin that's in our lives to go unchecked, our lives will ultimately begin to change from being kind and loving and compassionate to becoming unpleasant and bitter. Now, my experience, and what I'm going to share for the next minute or two, is just my experience of after being in ministry for more than 30 years, I'm, I'm going to share what I've observed in people over the last 30 years. I have discovered when a Christian or a person who professes to have faith in Christ. And I've seen this happen multiple times. When I'm meeting with someone, a guy, or if it's a woman involved, I always have Sharon, and she would meet with me, and we'd meet with a woman. But I, or we together, have discovered that when people who at one time seemed happy and joyful and thankful for things, when their lives begin to change from happy and grace-filled and joyful, and when their life changes to all of a sudden they're mad at the world, and they're mad at everybody, and even specifically they're mad at some certain people, it is almost always evidence of unconfessed sin. Now, as i thought about that this week, and, and I did pause for a moment, I couldn't think of a single situation in the last 30 years where that wasn't true. When somebody would come to me, or a couple would come for counseling, or a guy would come for counseling, or a woman would call and say, Pastor, can I get together with you? I've got something going on in my life and I need to talk about it. Well, I would always arrange that through Sharon. But I can't think of a single time in 30 plus years where somebody came and this person at one time was the most joy-filled, happy, gracious, kind, loving person you could ever want to meet. And where I saw, or we together, we saw this person's life change from that loving, gracious, kind, gentle person to someone who's now they're angry at people, they're angry at the world. It's almost always... Evidence of unconfessed sin. And if we allow this sin, this unconfessed sin, to go unchecked, our lives will begin to change just like that. We, you and I, will go from happy, joy-filled, gracious, kind-loving people to people who are unpleasant and bitter and to people that nobody wants to associate with. I'm a fan of a pastor in Philadelphia, James Montgomery Voice. He died. We'll meet him in heaven. He was the pastor of 10th Street Presbyterian Church, and he died of cancer in 98 or 99, something like that. He was diagnosed with cancer, and he died six weeks later. The one thing I always remember about James Montgomery Boyce, and some of you will remember his name, he did a sermon series in his church in Philadelphia on the book of Romans, and it only took 18 years. 18 years to go through the 16 chapters of Romans. And I've thought about that when I stop and think about that. You know, there was times, let's say little Kenzie, three years old. Pastor Boyce started preaching on Romans when she was three years old. And when she was 21 years old, he was still preaching out of the book of Romans. There were men and women, boys and girls, couples, families, that came and went from that church. And the only sermons they ever heard were sermons from the book of Romans. He said this about unconfessed sin in his commentary, and it says this, For no one can really be fruitful until the past is forgotten in the proper sense. If we're living in the past of unconfessed sin, we will never be completely fruitful in the present. So it goes down to this, guys and ladies. If you and I have done things to hurt other people, and we have never apologized, and we have never asked God to forgive us of that sin. That's what I'm talking about, unconfessed, unrepentant sin. And if that's still festering like a disease. It's like a cancer and it's just growing inside. And it doesn't just stay off in one little corner. It just grows and takes over our whole body. If we have done that and we haven't repented, the time to repent and get your heart right with the Lord is today when you go home, in your car, on the way home, right now where you're sitting. On the other hand, if there are people, and we have probably all... Being honest is a good thing. Being honest is a great thing, always, whether you're in church or out of church, but I'm going to be honest about this. If we've done things that have offended other people, we need to, as followers of Christ, ask that person to forgive us, and and then we need to go to God and ask Him to forgive us. If people have done things that have offended and hurt us, we need to forgive them. Now, we can't from a theological perspective, we can't forgive them of their sin. Only God can forgive sin. But we can let them know that we don't hold any hard feelings, and we say that if we really mean it, in order to restore and rebuild that relationship. But we need to, it's a come and flow, come and go thing, if there's people who have hurt us or if we've hurt other people. If we haven't done that, we have this unrepentant sin. Proverbs 28:13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So confessing our sin should be the first thing we do. Not one of the last things we do. It should be one of the first things we do. As people who profess to have faith in Jesus Christ, we should be quick to forgive other people when they hurt and harm us. Every moment of unconfessed sin adds more pain and more guilt in our life. And it only postpones the grace and mercy that God wants us to experience. Unconfessed sin ruins lives. Unconfessed sin changes us, whether we want to admit it or not. It changes us from being kind and compassionate to being angry and hateful. And that brings us to Jonah chapter 4. In the book of Jonah, Jonah seems to go back and forth. Chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. He goes back and forth between having a soft and kind heart and then We read a few more verses and it seems like he has this hard heart. He's angry about things. But when we get here to chapter 4, Jonah's back at having a hard heart. Look at verse 1, chapter 4, "...but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry." And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? It's almost so, you know, wouldn't you like to just... We all know people who are angry, Right? Unless you're living in a bubble someplace. We've all known people who get angry. you know, almost like say, does, does all that getting angry, does that help? It doesn't help with anything. Can't you hear Jonah as he as he just verbalizes these things that we just read in these first four verses? I knew it, God. I told you this was gonna happen. You went back on your word just as I said you would. That's why I didn't want to come to Nineveh in the first place. Because of their wickedness. You were ready to destroy the whole city. But no, no, no. Now you let the people repent. You should have destroyed the whole town. Be done with it. But I know you're a God of love. And, but love has its limits. Some people you are not supposed to love. This is Jonah's attitude. Just kill me, he says, if you're going to be that way. Yes, it's true. This unconfessed sin in our lives will ultimately change us from being kind and compassionate to being callous and bitter. And Jonah is the ultimate example of this kind of behavior. So the best thing that Jonah could do would be to repent of his sin and ask God to forgive him. But no, that's not what he does in chapter four. Look at verse five. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Some of us have a uh, Reformation study Bible, and it says this in verse 5. At least it said this in my Bible. Grateful for his... This this is the editorial comment for verse 5. Grateful for his own deliverance, Jonah still refuses to accept that of the Ninevites. You know... Do you realize you and I are strange people? Especially, I'll be as strange as anybody in the room, but you're second, okay? You know, we want God to forgive us of everything we've ever done that's wrong. Oh, and we can't ask for forgiveness. I hope we're quick to ask for forgiveness. But then we want God to take revenge on somebody else for what they've done that was probably not as bad as what we did. That's what's happening here. Jonah still refuses to accept the the forgiveness of the Ninevites, hoping that the Lord will execute judgment, it says in verse 5 commentary. Jonah leaves the city for a vantage point. He, What's going on in this guy's head? He wants to go out and get on a little hill someplace so he can look at what happens down in here, how God is going to destroy this city. But no, now, now these people are repenting. And now he's mad about it. There are some people who, there are people in churches today, and I've met, I haven't met anybody like this at Crosspoint, but over the years, they think they're going to heaven and they're, they're mad about it. You know what I mean? They act like they're mad about it. Does that sound like someone with a soft heart or someone with a hard heart? Look at verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Can you picture this? This this big plant. I don't know. Sharon and I just transplanted this this plant that was in a smaller planter, and now we bought this bigger planter. And just like, I'm telling you, it's like overnight this thing is just going to take over the house. Well, I picture this plant. It's coming up just a little seedling that just popped through the, the earth and now all of a sudden it's coming up and over his head. He appointed this plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant and while Jonah is still on this hill overlooking the city, God provides this plant to offer him protection from that hot sun in the Middle East. It says in verse 6 that he's exceedingly glad, then, but then turn the verse. Look at verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. So now we have this same God who instructed Jonah to travel to Nineveh back in chapter 1. Same God. The same God who created the storm out there on the Mediterranean Sea. It's the same God. The same God who appointed this giant fish in the Mediterranean to swallow Jonah whole. It's the same God. It's the same God who allowed Jonah to live inside the belly of that giant fish for three days. It's the same God. And it's the same God who now provides this plant to provide comfort from the hot sun. That same God... Is the God who provides the worm that eats its way into the plant and the plant dies. And after the plant dies, here comes that terrible east wind. Verse 8 says this It's better for me to die than to live. Now, verse 9, God repeats the same thing that he said back in verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? In other words, is this anger of yours causing good things to happen? Why are you angry? Is that going to help anything? But Jonah's now so mad at God that it seems he would rather die than give up his anger. Look at verse 10. God is trying to get Jonah to consider a bit of simple reasoning by comparing Jonah's situation with God's situation. Here's what he says. You watched a vine get eaten away and got all worked up with concern and pity over the vine. But the vine had nothing to do with you. You didn't have anything to do with that. You pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Think about the real value of this vine. Is the vine more important than people? Not at all. Jonah's concerned about the plant. God's concerned about the people. God is saying, if you love that vine as much Can't I love the people of Nineveh just as much? And then verse 11, and I think that's the last verse. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Verse 11, you remember we talked about this in verse 3. I said there's another, in chapter 3 it talks about how the city of Nineveh is 50 miles across. Remember, it takes three days to walk across Nineveh. And on an average, a healthy adult can walk, if we wanted to try it, can walk 17 miles in one day. So if it's three days' journey, it's about 17 miles from the east side to the west side of Nineveh. And I said in chapter 4, there's another clue to how big this city is, and it's in verse 11. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people, who do not know their right hand from their left. You know, I'm not sure. I don't really know. My grandkids are beyond this, but at some point, Kenzie might be a good one to ask here. I'm not sure how old children are when they understand the difference between their right hand and their left. Two, three, four years old. If there are 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh who still don't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. I mean, that would mean there's 120,000 people in Nineveh who are four or five years old. Now, if there's 120,000 people who are four and five year old, just think of the population of the city. We're talking a million people without even figuring it out. At any rate, Nineveh is a big city and God cares about each person. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And in the ESV study Bible, it makes this comment about verse 8, 1 John 4. God continually gives himself to others and seeks their benefit. So let's go through. Here's our four chapter titles if you want to write them in your Bible. Chapter 1, disobedience. Chapter 2, consequences. Chapter 3, repentance brings forgiveness. And chapter 4, I changed after I printed that slide. Chapter 4, I had confessed sin changes our heart. And that's still okay. But I think we could say confessed sin hardens. Unconfessed sin hardens our heart. So let me have an application, and then let's take a couple questions. Here's an application. How many people right now do you have on your hate list? People who have done things to you that you still have not forgiven them of and you don't even feel like you're ready to forgive yet. How many people are on that list that should be on your love list? And my question is, how many people are on that list that should be on the other list? And how long is it going to take you to forgive them of whatever it is they did so that you can put them on your love list because God doesn't have two lists. God loves people. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross as the full penalty for our sin so that we could be in a right relationship with him if we put our faith in Christ. If there's people on that hate list of yours, I just want to encourage you to get them off of that list. Forgive them for what it is that they did. Ask God to help you restore that relationship. Sometimes there's people, we can't even get in a friendly relationship with people, but the the minimum we can do is ask God to forgive us for holding a grudge against those people. So let's close in a word of prayer. And then I'll come down there and we'll do a couple questions. Lord Jesus, thank you for, uh, thank you for uh, this book and how there's, there's so many things that we could begin to apply to our life. Uh, Lord, I just think about the people who are on our hate list and I hope that there's not a lot of people on those lists. But Lord, if there's people that we're holding grudges against, forgive us of that. And help us, Lord, to come before you individually and ask to be forgiven. Lord, I just pray that we could take these lessons not just for today, but that we could hold these lessons close as we walk through life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.